Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. Good morning, Freedom Church. Welcome to week two of Church in Your Pajamas. I hope you're not getting too comfortable because I sure miss seeing you. But I'm so thankful for the invention of technology that we can still be connected in times like this. This morning, we're continuing our series, I Am. And I couldn't think of a better series to be in during this time than the I Am statements of Christ. Each statement is filled with so much hope that Jesus gives us. Each statement speaks into our human weakness and offers us God's divine sufficiency. To the dead and lifeless body, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. To the darkness, Jesus says, I am the light. To the weak, vulnerable, helpless shepherd, Jesus says, I am the almighty good shepherd fighting on your behalf. And this morning, we're going to look at a statement where Jesus speaks into scarcity and lack in John 6, 35. And he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And if there's a word that we need to hear right now in our culture, it's this one. It's this statement from Jesus. Because right now, every one of us are faced to answer some of life's biggest questions and fears. And the question that everybody's trying to answer right now is, will I have enough? In 2018, a Chapman University study found that 50%, 57% of Americans fear not having enough money for the future. A bank rate survey revealed that 36% of Americans occasionally lose sleep over money. And that was before coronavirus. The coronavirus has filled our minds with questions about the future. We ask questions. Will I still have a job after all this is over? Will I have enough money to pay the mortgage, to pay the bills? What if I get sick? Will I have enough money to cover the medical expenses? We ask questions. Will I have enough food and groceries to take me through this crazy season? And the biggest question of all is this. If we don't flatten this curve, Will we have enough hospital beds to take care of all the sick people? And the fear of not having enough leads to poor decisions and faulty ways of thinking. People start acting irrationally and doing crazy things. There are so many memes that fill our social media feeds and tweets of people's irrational behavior during this time. Some of my favorite memes are this one. I like this one. It says, If you needed 144 rolls of toilet paper for a 14-day quarantine, you probably should have been seeing a doctor long before. How about this one? Me, after I eat all the quarantine snacks in one night. For some of you, that sticks a little bit too close to home, right? You can really relate to that. My favorite tweet that I read was this. Saw a neighbor out early this morning scraping The My Kid is a Terrific Student sticker off her minivan. Guess that first week of homeschooling didn't go so well. Some of you are like, that was me. I was that neighbor. We laugh at these memes because they hit so close to home. And for some of us, we we can relate to that parent. After homeschooling our kids, we wonder, will I have enough patience to make it through this time? 
But when Jesus said this I am statement, I am the bread of life, it hit close to home just like these memes and tweets are hitting to us. For everybody hearing it, they related to what Jesus said. So let me unpack the context into which Jesus said the statement, I am the bread of life. But before we do, I want to pray with you this morning that God begins to open our hearts and minds to receive God's word. So right there where you're at, I want you to say this with me. Lord, open my ears to hear and my heart to receive God's word from me. Say, Lord, speak to me this morning. Amen. See, right before Jesus said, I am the bread of life, what had happened is he had just fed 5,000 men, not including women and children. And he fed them with a Hebrew Happy Meal. There was a little boy who had two fish fillet sandwiches and five French fries. And Jesus takes what he has in his hands and he's done feeding about 20,000 people. Because there's 5,000 men, about 20,000 in total attendance, according to most scholars, with five loaves and two fish. And when Jesus is done feeding them, John tells us that there are 12 baskets left over. Because when Jesus shows shows up on any scene, when Jesus comes into every situation, let me tell you something, there is always more than enough. So let's pick up the story, verse 14. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, underlined this, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Jesus' popularity is surging. The paparazzi are following him everywhere he goes. TMZ is right on his tail. And during this time, Jesus' popularity was at an all-time high. The best way I could describe it, he was as popular as toilet paper on aisle six at Costco. Everybody wanted a piece of Jesus. So the Bible says that he withdrew. Usually preachers like crowds. A crowd is usually an indicator that you're connecting with, that people are connecting with your message. But Jesus withdrew. Very interesting. Why? Because Jesus was never impressed with large crowds. He always wanted committed followers. And the Jews at this time, they're thinking, imagine if this guy's our king. Imagine if this guy becomes the head of our state. If he did this with five loaves and two fish, imagine what he could do with the stock market. Imagine how he could fix our economy. Imagine how he could fix health care. We can overtake Rome. Now's the time. And the Bible says if you saw that, John said they were intending to make him king by force. So when Jesus feels the excitement of the crowd, he disappears. Not because he's shy, but because the crowd has missed the point. He didn't come to world and world hunger, at least not at first. He's got something even more important than that. See, Jesus just didn't come to meet our temporal needs. He came to meet our biggest need of all, our eternal need to be connected to him. So Jesus, he retreats from the crowd. John says he goes up into the mountain until nightfall. And after he takes, after nightfall, he comes back to the mountain and he takes an evening stroll on the sea. Not by the sea, mind you, on the sea. Jesus is walking on water. It's an amazing, he walks on water to the other side. 
But this crowd is desperate for him. They find him. Look what happens in verse 25. They find him on the other side of the lake. And they asked him, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus said this, very truly. I want you to circle, underline, highlight, smiley face that word. Very truly, I tell you. When Jesus drops this word very truly, it means things are about to get serious. Like every word in the Bible is important. But if you have your Bible, there's what's called red letter words. Those are the words of Jesus. And Jesus' and Jesus' words carry great weight. But in the red letter words, every once in a while, there's this construct of the sentence. And when Jesus uses this word very truly, he says, everything I say is important. But what I'm about to tell you right now is so important. I'm about to drop some knowledge on you. You better listen. So Jesus says here, very Truly, so check this out. He's getting serious. You're looking for me. Not because you saw signs I performed, but because you ate loaves and had your fill. Jesus says, you're following me because I can do something for you. I'm just a means to an end. You just follow me because I can give you food. But I'm here to give you way more than that. And so many times, we have a perception of God like that. We view God as a means to an end. God, I will need you to meet my need. God, I need you to be with me in this situation. God, I need you to make me a better husband. God, I need you to help me in my job. And sometimes we just go after God's hand rather than going after his heart. And God says, you've missed it. Yes, I can do all those things. I'm powerful, but I am more than that. I want a relationship with you. I want to know you. I can meet your needs, but I want your heart. And look what happens. Verse 27, he says this, do not work for food that spoils. Once again, circle, underline, highlight, smiley face. It's food that spoils. But work for food that endures for eternal life. Jesus says there's food that will never go bad. It's Man, sometimes we think a McDonald's fry never goes bad. Have you ever lost one of those things? You put him out there three years later, you get a McDonald's fry, it looks the same. That's not what Jesus is talking about. It never goes bad. You don't want to eat that. That goes bad in your stomach. But Jesus said, this food is always fresh that I have to offer you. And it's the food that the Son of Man will give you. Look at verse 30. People aren't liking what Jesus is saying. Jesus is getting up in their business and their crowd begins to ask this question. What sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? You, you feel the tension and the banter back there? And they look, what, look what they ask. What will you do? And then they begin to get aggressive with Jesus. Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So this is a punch towards Jesus. Because see, for the Jewish people, they understood that Moses was their father. And they're bringing up Moses here, that when Moses was leading God's people, he just didn't give him a single meal. But for 40 years in the wilderness, he fed them day after day after day. At least that's what they think. And they're coming at Jesus. But how many guys know you can't step to Jesus? Jesus is no pushover. As they're coming to Jesus, you can feel this tension, this animosity towards the crowd. And they're coming at Jesus. And let me tell you, Jesus never backs down from a fight. He is a powerful, awesome God. And he's going to give us the truth no matter what. Jesus said to them, very truly, there's that word again. What I'm about to say right now is important. Listen to this. Very truly, I'm about to drop some truth on you guys right here. I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it is my father. What? Who gives bread from heaven? 
Everybody has to be gasping. They're like, what did he say? It's like, remember being a kid and everybody have chopped down contests like your mama, your mama though, your mama this. And they're like, oh, and, and this is kind of what's happening here. The crowd comes at Jesus and Jesus here says, let me tell you what's really happening. And what Jesus does is he reminds the crowd that the manna that fell from heaven was not provided to them from Moses. God gave it to them, not Moses. It's God who provides the manna. Moses was just an instrument, but God was the source of the manna. And then he says in verse 33, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And now Jesus here, he's speaking about his origin. Things are getting restless in this place. It's getting real. And he says, I don't come from Nazareth. I don't come from Bethlehem. I don't come from Mary, and I don't come from Joseph. He says, I come from heaven. I don't have a beginning. I don't have an end. I'm all sufficient by himself. And in the midst of that context, Jesus steps back and says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. And when Jesus said this statement, people were losing their ever-living minds. People lost it. It was crazy. And what Jesus was telling the crowd is, your forefathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they're dead. But I am the bread that comes from heaven, and if you eat the bread that I offer, you will live forever. I am greater than Moses. I am the source of life. What an astounding statement, especially considering the context. And I want you to notice, and I want to point out to you this, that Jesus here intentionally uses the word ego imi for I am. In ego, we get the English word ego, which means personality. It means essence. Imi means I am. And what's interesting about the statement, according to scholars, Jesus doesn't say ego, the bread of life, or emi, the bread of life. Jesus puts both of these statements together, and he says ego, emi, the bread of life. It's a rare construct of the sentence, according to Bible scholars. R.C. Sproul, one of the most respected historians, said this was unbelievable. And one of the only places you find this construct is in Exodus chapter 3 in the Greek Septuagint. The Greek Septuagint was a translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And where God reveals himself to Moses in Exodus 3. And and Moses says, who are you? How should I tell people? How should I describe you to the people who sent me? And God tells Moses, I am who I am. Or like the Septuagint translated, ego imi. And now Jesus takes this very words and he says, Ego imi, the bread of life. I am is subject, bread is predicate. But in the Greek language, in this construct, it is reversed. The literal translation of this statement is this, the bread of life is I. And in this statement, Jesus is the focal point of the statement rather than the concept of the imagery of bare bread. Jesus says, I am the source of life. And once again, we've seen, as we've seen throughout this series, that Jesus doesn't mince words about his identity. He makes it very clear of who he is. He wants everybody to know that. He doesn't want people to kind of fill in the blanks. He tells everybody, I am God. Look at verse 33. 
He is the bread of life that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And this is the difference between Christianity and other religions. Other religions are about people ascending to God through good works, through karma, through progress. Everybody's trying to maintain this place where they can be pleasing to God. But Christianity is not about, is not about us ascending to God. It's about God, Jesus Christ, our great God, descending down to us, becoming a man, living a life that we should have lived, dying the death that we should have died, and he offers us life, and this is the gospel. And here's the truth that Jesus is teaching the crowd, and he teaches us, that God sent his son into the world as the bread of life to provide life to us. Jesus tells the crowd this, if you want food, I am that food. And I'm not here just to meet your temporal needs. I'm going to address your biggest need, your eternal need for me. And when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, it's interesting because there's two main ideas when it comes to life in the Greek. There is this word for biological life. It's called bios. It's where we get the word biology. That's where we get the word. Another word in Greek to describe life is the word zoe, which refers to the quality of life. Abundant life is how the Bible translators uh, begin to translate that. And we live in a culture that is so obsessed with bio life. People work out. People try to eat right. People get certain procedures done so they can stay healthy, look young. People will spend hours and hours doing Zumba and dancing so they can look right. And we're always on this quest to increase our bio life. We want to be a people that stay healthy, that look young. And there's nothing wrong with it. That's part of life. The whole quarantine situation that we are facing right now is because we all want to stay healthy and we all want to preserve our lives. But Jesus is saying that there's way more than just this biological life. Because when we're in the biological life, the situation we find ourselves in a quarantine is this. We just try to preserve ourselves. We're just maintaining. We're just trying to exist. We're playing defense all the time. It's like Mark, Mark Twain once said, I think, that most men die at 27. We just don't bury them until they're 72. That we think there's got to be more than life than this. And Jesus is saying, hey, there is. There's not just a bio life, this world's life, but I'm offering Zoe life. A life that brings abundance. A life that is not confined to the conditions of the world or the circumstances you find yourself. A life that greatly impacts, yes, your temporal life, but it's an eternal life. It's like C.S. Lewis said, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. The bio life is lived out with a scarcity mindset. The Zoe life is lived out with an abundance mindset. And the scarcity mindset says this. They're constantly saying, I won't have enough. It's what we're saying right now. It's how we're living right now. It's the thoughts that are dominating our culture right now. I won't have enough. And if there's one word that describes this life, it's the word lack. People live with a sense of lack. We've seen it like never before. In unprecedented ways, over the last several weeks, people are hoarding groceries and toilet paper and hand sanitizer. They're just thinking, I won't have enough. i got to grab a hold of something. They're emptying shells everywhere. 
We can't find our favorite cereals or meat. We're forced to eat all kinds of random stuff we've never eaten before. It is a crazy season because people are hoarding. And a crisis like the one we're facing today really accentuates this sense of lack in our lives. And when we live with this sense of lack, you know what happens? We grab onto things tightly of this world. Because we don't know we'll have enough, so i got to grab onto it. i got to hold it. Blaine Pascal, the great philosopher, said this sense of lack is a God-shaped void that only he can fill. And what we're finding out throughout culture and throughout history is that people try to fill this void with possessions, with safety, with pleasure, with having the best appearance that they can. But here's what we find out. Nothing can fill the void. We think if we have untold wealth, if we gather fame, then this sense of lack would disappear. Many people, maybe you thought this, oh, if if I get that job and if I make a certain amount of money, uh, I think I'll be good and I, I will be happy forever. And you've gotten to that place and you made that certain amount and you're not happy. Or maybe if I got a relationship with a certain person and you got that relationship and you're in that relationship and you realize, you know, that I'm not happy, so I'm looking for the next relationship. It's kind of where we all live. There's nothing that will feel that sense of lack in our lives in this world. It's what actor and comedian Jim Carrey knows. He says this, I hope everyone can get rich and famous and will know that every, and will have everything they ever dreamed of. Then they will know that. That is not the answer. And it's not just famous actors. One of the greatest athletes of our generation, Tom Brady, who's won multiple Super Bowl, the former quarterback of the New England Patriots, and now quarterback of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. How crazy is that? He was on 60 Minutes, and he said this in his interview. Why do I have multiple Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe. A lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life, me. I think, God, it's got to be more than this. This can't be all that it's cracked up to be. See, we see all these athletes, these entertainers. They have everything that we think that we would need to fill that void, that lack in our lives. And we realize that the most successful people, the people that have reached the pinnacle, look back and they realize that there's got to be more. Why do people have this sense of lack? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 27, if you remember, that they work for food and it spoils. They long to fill themselves in something that will never last. They give themselves to the deepest longings of accomplishments and success and relationship, and it spoils on them. So here's a question. How do you know if you're working for food that spoils? It's easy. Ask yourself this. Is what I'm striving for right now fully satisfying me? Does it bring me peace and happiness and tranquility? Or do I always want more, 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 more? The next bonus, the next deal. The next relationship, I always want the next. And when you can't have it, here's the challenge. And this is what the situation is showing us. When we cannot have what we think we need, panic begins to set in. We say, we, I can't live without this. And people are panicking. I, I, I can't even begin to imagine how I can go with this. And this is what panic will do. Panic will pollute your perspective. Ask any lifeguard. 
A lifeguard will not try to go save somebody right away because they'll start panicking and they'll drown them and they'll grab a hold of them and they could possibly be drowned by somebody who can't swim. And take this, and I know this very well. I'm going to admit something to you all that's very embarrassing for me. At 43 years old, I still can't swim. And because of my ability, inability to swim, I can't tell you how many moments of panic I've had in the water. I can't tell you how many times I'm screaming and I'm yelling and I'm thinking about to die. And I've had the lifeguard say, hey, just stand up. And I stand up and the water is just up to you. And I'm like, I'm just kidding. No big deal. I'm just wondering if you were watching. In the inside, I really thought I was going to die. And the very ironic thing about my life is this. My family loves water. Most of our family Vacations are to the beach. And what I've learned through this inability to swim and constantly be surrounded by water is this, that a scarcity mentality always sets in when I am feeling overwhelmed. Like, for example, when we get in a boat, the first thing that I look for is a life jacket. I want to grab a hold of that life jacket. I want to make sure this life jacket is to preserve me. I asked, do we have a life jacket before we even get in there? I'm looking at the water. I want a life jacket. We have, we have some good friends of ours that they live by the lake and they have a boat and we constantly go over to their house in the summer and we, uh, they invite us out and they're just incredible people. Shout out to Paul and Krista. You guys are the ones I'm talking about. And they'll invite us on the boat. And, and I love going on the boat. First thing I get on the boat is I put on my life jacket. And then after I, I put on the life jacket, we go on the boat, and everybody goes swimming, and they jump out, and everybody's having a good time, and they're just enjoying life. And, and me, if I'm going to get on the water, I have a life jacket here. But then what I do is I, I put a second life jacket. I put a life jacket for my upper body, and then I put a life jacket on my, oh, under, uh, my, under, my underbody and my legs right here. And then I get floaties, and I jump on with two life jackets, and I'm holding them the whole time. And I'm like, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die. I'm holding on tightly because I have this scarcity mentality that I'm going to sink. And, and that is a great picture of how many people are living right now. A crisis like we're facing truly reveals what we're hanging on to and what we're, what we're looking to. And, what we're, and as we begin to panic at the thought of losing it, people right now are freaking out because they think that they're going to lose the gains they've been working out for years. They look at their bodies. Oh, my stomach is getting bigger. Oh, my arms are getting smaller. And you begin to think, I'm panicking. Other people are panicking because they're watching their IRAs and their retirements dwindle away. Other people fall apart when a relationship doesn't turn out the way they want. And a good way to know if you're feeding on spoiled bread is what's causing you to panic right now. In this passage, Jesus speaks into our scarcity and our lack. And he tells us, don't give your affection and attention to food that spoils. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. And though a scarcity mindset says I won't have enough, Jesus speaks into that scarcity mindset and says this, I am more than enough. Come to me and you will never hunger. Come to me and you will never thirst. God just doesn't give you enough. God's constantly doing miracles where he provides and he shows himself like he's more than enough. One of the Hebrew names for God is El Shaddai, not El Chippo. 
And we realize that David said this in Psalms, my cup runneth over. God says, I am a God that is more than enough. I am more than enough what you're looking for. You're trying to fill your life. You're trying to find security. You're trying to hold on to things that cannot keep you afloat. But Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am more than enough. And it's interesting that Jesus metaphorically uses the words hunger and thirst because they have to do with desire. Everyone hungers to be secure. Everyone has a desire to be safe and loved and accepted. Everyone has thirsted for this sense of fulfillment. But in Jesus says, but Jesus, when he says, I am the bread of life, he says this, your restless soul can find rest. Your greatest desires and longings can be fulfilled. Jesus is extending an invitation to us. Come eat and drink, and I will fill you up from the inside out. And I will meet needs that you thought could never meet. I will do what you can never do. What a powerful exchange that Jesus had with the crowd. See, when the crowd heard Jesus' bold statements, look what happened in verse 46. From this time on, many disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Man, not a good Sunday for Jesus. He has a crowd of 20,000, and in one sermon, he shrinks it down to 12. I don't think any church growth specialists or leadership networks are calling him. I don't think he's read how to win friends and influence people, but he's, he's struggling with this. He, he, it seemed like he would be discouraged, but no. Look what Jesus says in verse 67. He looks at the disciples and says, you don't want to leave too, do you? This is savage. Jesus says, do you want to leave too? But I love, I love Peter's response in verse 68. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I want to close this passage by quickly getting real practical with you and telling you how you can live this Zoe life, this abundant life. First thing we need to do is we need to learn to feed on God's word regularly. When times get the toughest, when the days get the darkest, when the crowds get the slimmest, the follower of Christ runs harder after Jesus in his word. They're like Peter and they say, Lord, I have nowhere else to go for you alone have the words of eternal life. I am here. I'll I'll never forget a talk that I heard years ago when I first started to plant Freedom Church. It was a successful church planter, and he was speaking to several church planters in the area, and he says this, church planting will be the hardest thing that you've ever done. But here's what I want to let you know. It will cause you, and this is not just for church planting, this is for every difficult time. If you're not careful, it will cause you to run to Jesus or to run to the soothers of your soul, the old habits, the old sins, the old hangouts. And during a time like this, when we're facing difficulty and crisis, it's so easy to run to the old soothers of our soul, our emotions, anger, greed, just holding on, alcohol. We self-medicate, eating, food, TV, Netflix, binging. Sadly, according to the research, 
Many people are running to pornography like never before. It is crazy how many downloads, according to the research, of pornography that is taking place right now. People are running to something. They're trying to forget where they're at. But let me tell you, Freedom Church, I can't tell you how many times when times got tough and days were dark that I prayed this prayer. I said, God, I burned the bridge. Lord God, I've set the ship on fire. I have nowhere else to go. I've gone to my knees several times and said, Lord, to whom shall I go? I'm running to you. I'm chasing you. I want you. And Freedom Church, if you're going to make it during this season, you got to learn to run after Jesus, to feed on God more than ever before. What an opportunity that we have. What are you feeding on? What are you allowing to feed your soul? God says, I want to feed your soul. I can't tell you how many times when I was overwhelmed with anxiety. And I came to God's word and he gave me peace. Can't tell you how many times I was overwhelmed and I felt alone. And God says, I'll be your refuge. Can't tell you how many times I felt weak and God said, I will be your strength. I have learned to find comfort in God's presence and in God's word over the years. The writer of Proverbs said this, that your words are life to those who find him. They are health to one's whole body. It's like Jonathan Edwards says, he says, quote, sometimes only mentioning a single word will cause my heart to burn within me. Only seeing the name of Christ or some attribute of God will suddenly make my heart burn. And God suddenly appears glorious to me, making me have exulting thoughts of him. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever had that experience with God and his word that when you're just all of a sudden you, you're down and you're out and you're discouraged, you get in his word and something comes alive in you? You can. But you got to make the attention. You got you to make the decision that when difficulties come, Say, I'm not going to go to the old way of life. I'm not going to go to the hangups of this world. I'm not going to go to food that spoils. I am going to feed on God's eternal word. You, you're noticing a pattern? In all these I am statements, God's always calling us back to his word. It's a different story, but he says, look to me. Come to me. It's a different way to preach a different message, but the message is still the same. The ending is still everything we need is in Christ. The second thing we got to do, we should feed on God's words regularly. But the second thing we need to do is we've got to depend on God's provision daily. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount to pray this. God, give us today our daily bread. It's a prayer of dependence. And Jesus was referring to how God dealt with Israel in the desert under the leadership of Moses. Let me remind you. When Israel was in the desert, manna came for them six days. And it was only enough food for each day. Many of them, instead of just taking what they could eat for the day, they would take as much manna as they possibly can. They would hide it in their tent and they would store it up. But by the next day, it would be rotten. Worms would be growing in it. It would be spoiled. Why would God do that? Because God is trying to teach them a lesson. The same lesson that he wants to teach us. That if you're going to trust me, it's going to require daily dependence. Every single day, you got to have to trust that God will supply every one of your needs. This was a tough lesson for Israel. And this is a tough lesson for us because we're planners and we want to be in control. 
But if there's one thing that the coronavirus has taught us during this season is we're not in control. But Jesus says when things are out of control, stay put and take a chill pill because I am still in control. I want you to notice from the story of the Israelites in the desert, it is God that provided their needs. They try to do it on themselves, but while they were resting, God was working and God was providing. And I want to let you know, sometimes the greatest move of God's have nothing to do with what you can do on your own. You got to let go and you got to let God. Sometimes you just got to take back, feed on God's word and rest while God works. But this is such a hard thing for us to do because I want to be in control. You want to be in control. But God says, you got to trust me daily. Trust that I'll provide for you. Trust that I'll give you daily bread. Because James, the half-brother of Jesus, said this. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. So what if we worry about tomorrow? So Jesus says, trust me today, and I'll take care of your tomorrow. And I know a lot of us are walking through some unprecedented times. And it's so easy just to be overwhelmed by the future. We don't know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future. I don't know what next week holds. I don't know what tomorrow holds. But what we need to do is we got to learn to trust God day by day, moment by moment. And if you're overwhelmed right now, if you're looking at the week and you don't know where your check's going to come in, if you don't know where your resources are going to come in, if you don't know how you're going to make it, I'll tell you, quit looking at the week in front of you and just look at the day ahead of you and trust God for this day. Trust God for Sunday. And then wake up again. Trust him for Monday. This is what we got to do. We got to get up every morning and say, God, I trust you. At night, we got to say, I trust you. During the day, we got to say, I trust you. God is calling us to a moment of trust. And what I've learned is this that over years of my life, that God is faithful. One of my mentors, Dr. Royer, he challenged me right before I started ministry. He said, Benito, I want you to do this. Trust God till he fails you. And guess what? After 20 years plus of ministry later, I'm still here because God has never failed me. And I've had many situations of crisis, many difficult moments, many moments that were even similar in feelings that what you're facing even right now. I remember when I first came to, to Austin to start Freedom Church here in Round Rock. I didn't have a job. I didn't know a single person. My kids didn't have insurance. And I had to trust God every day. It was overwhelming. I didn't know how we were going to make each day. And I will never forget a moment where God showed me how faithful was. There's so many. But here's the, the first part of it, how God began to build faith in me. We came here. And when we came, there was no insurance. Our insurance obviously stopped when we stopped working at our previous place of employment. And Alana had some issues with dental work that needed to take place. And we didn't know how we were going to take care of it, but we know her teeth was hurting. Her teeth were really in bad shape. She was always crying. There was always pain. So Jennifer one day says, we got to get this taken care of. I know we got to get this taken care of. And she went to the doctor. And at that moment, we had $1,000 in our bank account. And Jennifer called me and says, Benito, this is going to cost $1,000. We're emptying out our savings, our bank account. And I remember, okay, all our safety net, no jobs, nothing going to take care of a Lana's dentist bill because we had to. We had to take care of her. And I remember that day I got my last check from the previous place of appointment. I picked it up, and this is the thought that I had. Should I tithe? I was like, 
I can't afford to tithe right now. We've got to hold on. I've got to live with scarcity. And I felt the Holy Spirit tell me, Benito, you can't afford not to tithe. So I remember God. I got on my knees and I said, Lord, I trust you. When I don't have enough, you're more than enough. And I wrote down the tithe check and I lifted it up before the Lord. And I said, God, you've never failed me. I will trust you till you fail me. Got that check, wrote the address. I set my tithe into the Assemblies of God. Literally, as I dropped my tithe in the check, literally about five minutes later, I get a phone call. Just Benito, we're driving through Austin tonight. I mean, we want to have lunch with you. We want to have dinner with you and the family. Would you be willing? I said, yeah, that'd be cool. Okay, cool. And, and it was a phone call from somebody that I had met once before. I was preaching in Dallas. Never met them before. Haven't seen them since. They said, yeah, God put it on our hearts to meet with you. We just want to take you out to dinner. So we went out there. I'm like, here's another dinner. Thank the Lord. One meal at a time. One day at a time. I'm going to trust you. We got out there for dinner. Had a great time. They prayed over us. And they said, you know, the Lord redirected our our trip and we just felt that we needed to come down here we drove out of the way but God put it in our hearts to give you this and they handed us a check guess what that check was that check was for a thousand dollars the same money that we depleted our bank account to pay for Alana's bill now it's back in there and since that moment I realized that my God is faithful Freedom Church your God is faithful if you're overwhelmed if you don't know about tomorrow don't worry about tomorrow trust God with today tomorrow has enough worries of its own live this day trusting God and trusting Jesus to meet your daily needs see we're gonna walk in this abundant life we got to feed on God's word regularly we got to depend on God's provision daily and third of all we got to meditate on God's love constantly sometimes we just need to sit and meditate, meditate on God's love for us. Be overwhelmed with how much Christ has done for us. It's like Paul said in Ephesians 3.18. How wide and deep and long and high is the love of Christ. And that love was on full display when Jesus descended down to heaven. Descended down from heaven to earth. He says, I am the bread life and he was hated people didn't like his message they challenged him but he offered that life to everyone because he knew that within our heart between every one of our hearts is a longing a desire to be connected to something that this world cannot give us see we hold on to this world we hold on to it so tight we think that it's going to meet our needs and we panic when we can't have it. And Jesus says this, guess what? In the midst of a crisis, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of what's going on, you can still have peace because the life that I offer is not just confined to 70 years on this earth. It is forever. It is eternal. I got eternal life and that's what you're looking for. I just want to let you know if you're watching that longing, that desire, that feeling like Jim Carrey said and Tom Brady said that there's just got to be more to life than this is your soul craving the bread of life and Jesus said this yet to all who received him to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God you can be his children he loves you he died for you because the bread of life wrapped in humanity 
God on the cross was stretched in our behalf, was pierced and tortured. They left him dead, but he didn't stay dead. On the third day, he rose again. And because of that victory, you and I can walk in victory today. And as a Christian, I just want to say this. I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where I found bread. And that bread has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. For those of you that are believers, we're going to take communion. It's a special time, and it's reserved for those who have placed their faith in Jesus. So if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you can. This morning, I want to pray for you before we take communion. Just say this right where you're at. Say, Jesus. Just, if you're saying that, just, just raise your hand. Say, I want to accept Jesus. Put on the comments. Put it right there in whatever you're following. Send us an email. Say, Lord. Say, Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and that everything that I've been chasing has left me longing for more. I need you. Say, I, you are the bread of life. I confess my sin. And I believe the third day you rose again for me. And one of the things that the scriptures tell us to do, that Jesus tells us to do, is to constantly meditate on God's love for us. And we do this with communion. We're going to take communion and want to take communion just like you. I know we don't have the elements or anything, but I got a bread. So go to your refrigerator right now. Bring some bread. You might have to have some juice. I, I didn't have juice in my house, but I got uh, Coke. That's what we have. You guys have Dr. Pepper. Some of you guys have grape juice, whatever it is. The Lord knows. We're going to take communion. Verse 51 says this. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Right there where you're at, I want you to get that bread. I want you to break it. Give it to your family. Give it to your kids. Just, if you're, man, you're the priest of the house. Give communion to everyone. Break it. Lord, th thank you that your body was broken for me. That you are the bread of life. That you gave your life so that I can live. And I thank you, Jesus. Right there where you're at, just get the bread. Take it. Jesus said, this, is, this bread is my flesh. And it will give life to the world. When his bread... His body was broken. Blood began to pour. Take whatever element you could find in your house. The Lord knows our hearts. I say, Lord, thank you for your body that was broken. Right there where you're at, just thank him. Say, Jesus, thank you that you are the bread of life. You are the one that came to me. You are the awful one that offers me life. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, right now, examine my heart. Lord, show me where I'm working for food that spoils, bread that spoils, bread that causes me to hang on to things. Lord, help me to live the abundant life, to live a life that matters to you. Lord, I don't have to live with a scarcity mindset but you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for your people right now. I pray, Lord, God, that you'd calm their fears. I pray that you'd give them hope. I pray, Lord, that some of them are even sick right now. I pray that you'd bring healing. Lord, in the name of Jesus, you are the God that does everything for us. You are the bread of life. You are the resurrection and the life. You are the door. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Your name is Jesus. You are the I am. And we thank you, Lord, that you allow us to walk in relationship with you. Amen. Freedom Church, I want to thank you. I thank you for worshiping with us. I want to thank you for your faithfulness and your giving. Together, we are the church. I want you to see a video of how our 
faith in action is making a difference and can make a difference in those that are hurting around us. Check out this video. Hello, Freedom Church family. Sonia Stockland, Connections Pastor here at Freedom Church. And I just want to let you know that we love you and that we are praying for you. We are currently facing challenging times that many of us have never experienced before. And we have received your prayer requests for health, for finances, for job situations, and for lack of basic needs. And because of your generosity and your faithfulness in giving, we've been able to meet some of those needs. If you have a need, you can email us at care at freedomchurchrr.com. We're not sure how we're gonna meet every need, but we will try our very best to help. And just because we aren't meeting in person doesn't mean that we still can't be the church. Though we may be apart, we are not alone. If you have a prayer request, please email us and let us know. You can email us at prayer at freedomchurchrr.com and we will forward that prayer to our prayer team. We love you and we're praying for you all and remember the hope that we have in Jesus. God bless. I just want to say as your pastor, I'm thankful to be part of this body. I'm thankful for those of you that are praying, that are calling each other that are reaching out to those in need, that are loving others. Man, can we give a big shout out, a big thank you, Jesus, to our media team? Aren't they doing amazing? They're doing incredible. Man, they are here in the midst of this pandemic, and they are broadcasting the service to you. God is using us during this time. This is our time to share the bread of life with others. I want to share with you a story from someone in our church, Vicki went through the list and were calling people that were in need and she came to an elderly lady who was in dialysis that had visited our church just a couple times. She found out that this lady was in a difficult situation and that she couldn't get to the store and she had nobody to check on her. So Vicky went to the store. She got her everything she needed. She gave her the groceries and she began to cry. How amazing is that? Freedom Church, pray with me. Now's the time for us to meet needs. Now's the time for us to share the love of Jesus. Now's the time people's hearts are hungry for the bread of life. We have the bread of life. We don't have to live the bios life holding on to things that will spoil. We have an opportunity to give the zoe life, the abundant life that's inside of us that realizes the worst thing that can happen, we get sick, but we live forever. No matter what, it causes us to live in a whole different posture. And because of your faithfulness, because of your giving, thank you for giving in this difficult time. I want to continually challenge you. If you're able, be faithful with your giving. Be faithful with your tithe and offering. Be faithful with what God has called you. Trust Him and you'll see God provide. And as you trust Him, we're going to allow God to use us to help others. It's the reason God put us on this planet. There's four ways to give. You can go to the Church Center app. It can be found on the App Store or on Google Play. Second way, you can go online through the website and just give through there. Number three, you can text to give. You can use your mobile device. Send a text to 84321. Choose Freedom Church. Send a, set up a payment method and text the amount that you want to give in the message. And the fourth way to give, you can just mail a check to church. Freedom Church, I love you. And remember, the bread of life is offered to you. And that life, that abundant life is flowing in you. It's who we are as believers. Walk in the abundant life this week. Remember, God has called us to be the difference. Remember, God is in you, he's with you, and he's for you. We will see you throughout the week, through Facebook Live, and through other venues. I'm praying for you. God bless. 
Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.